0: Middle of the Pack. Real discussions for the middle of the pack by the middle of the pack. We'll talk about training and racing, but we're here to deep dive into the life topics of the weekend warriors and obstacle course racing enthusiasts. Obstacle course racing isn't just a sport, it's a lifestyle. We are the middle of the pack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Middle of the Pack podcast. We have been away for another two weeks with our wildly busy schedules. I'm um, here with my co-host, Derek. What's up, guys? And Megan.
1: Hey, guys.
0: We are recording on Sunday, and yesterday we had... We all just ran Savage Race Maryland. Um, some of us first time back in a while. Some of us first time racing.
1: None of us w- was it our first time racing. We've all raced before.
0: So of us our first time racing Savage should say and we all had a uh, very different experiences um i think i i ran a pretty okay race i got done what i wanted needed to and completed obstacles i didn't think i was gonna get honestly on first tries so making some progress there uh middle of just allergy season so my lungs are kicked i which sounds like a poor excuse because derek your lungs are kicked in a whole different way My lungs don't exist right now. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Seems ridiculous for me to say that. But um, yeah, I was happy to at least get out there and have a pretty good showing for first like technical races a year for me. Um, Derek, how did your how did your uh, savage go? I mean, so I was
2: five days out post COVID. So honestly, I expected it to be pretty bad. Uh, I was put in the first wave, but I kind of just hung out in the back. And I ran with the pack for the first mile. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing too bad. Like, my lungs feel okay. And then I hit the mile, like, one, one and a half marker. And it was just brick wall. My lungs and cardiorespiratory system were like, yeah, nope. You just had COVID. We don't want to work. And my heart rate spiked to 195 and never went back down until the end of the race. I literally walked, well, fast walked slash, slash super slow jogged. From about mile two to the very end and I mean it's only a six mile race so pretty bad obstacle wise I was fine though I mean I caught like 20 or 25 people on the rig and did not expect anything out of it and I was in my car like changing and getting different clothes and I heard my name called on stage and I'm like oh shit I won third place age group ran to the that's stage that's a
1: lie I called <laughs> I you know or I lie. said I heard your name and then that's true (laughs) and then you're like wait what did I win
2: literally sprinted to the stage and was like Jeff I'm here Jeff I'm here as I'm dying from running from my car to the stage the whole like 200 yards
0: (laughs) oh man yeah you caught me you caught me at the rig and that's just because I I was taking my sweet time at that at that thing
2: well, yeah, well, you and, like, 10 other people almost psyched me out. Everyone was like, yeah, this rig's, like, stupid hard, like, no, the ring's that the end. was stupid hard. So, there was, like, five other people that told me that. So, I literally sat there, let my heart rate kind of calm down, even though I'd still been walking, and then went and hung out on the cargo net for, like, three minutes in the middle of yeah. it. Like, where you just sat on the cargo for three minutes and didn't. It was like, why did I wait on the cargo net? That wasn't hard. <laughs> that was actually... I mean, honestly, that was the easiest Savage race I've run in the past year in terms of, like, obstacle difficulty. There was a lot of obstacles that were missing. It didn't feel
0: Savage-esque, in my opinion. I also spent a lot of time on that cargo net, and I agree, like, I probably didn't need to. No, oh, definitely not. It was more or less just watching, like, the three people right before me got stuck on those, like, uneven rings, which, is that the first time they've done those? Yeah. That's a, that's a neat trick. That's a... <laughs>
1: It's kind of dangerous. They need to make it where it moves a little bit easier because I spent a little bit of time hanging on the first one, trying to pull down on the second one and swing. And the second one wouldn't move at all. So as I went to swing through, it dropped so quickly. There's no way to resist your body weight with gravity, protect your shoulder, all of that like from somebody who is never like seen it before like you are risking shoulder health quite significantly on that um and you have to spend as little amount of time as possible on there
0: yeah i actually that's what i ended up doing when i did that transition from uh because derek you were telling me to lache to the second ring I didn't... Well, here's the thing. People were telling me that the rain, people People just kept saying, like, oh, that final range just spins so much. They didn't... No one... I didn't hear the part where it drops. So, like, when I grabbed that first one, I, I like, I pulled it just to, like, kind of rest on it. I'm like, oh, I see what's going on here. Yeah.
1: I heard that Lee was thinking about making it a bungee instead of, like, the seesaw, kind of. And I think the bungee would have been a lot safer. And... It it would have, um, yeah, it, it just probably would have worked out a lot better because at least with a bungee, you can anticipate it. Again, when you can't anticipate, your body just doesn't know how to react and like your ligaments, like in your shoulder, they they can't brace for it quite as well.
2: Yeah, it was definitely a trial and error, I think, with, with that one. I mean, that was their first time doing that. So I know he was like, all right, let's just, throw this on and see what the hell happens. I mean, that's pretty much how he does all his maniacal stuff. So I think it'll definitely either be gone and or improved for the next one. It was just like, let's see how it goes.
1: Yeah, they, they definitely need to play around with the pulley system a little bit more because there should be a way like if I have both hands on the rings and trying to even out the weight, like whether it's swinging or whatever else, that second ring should come down as I trying to even out my weight and it did not come down unless my full weight was on it
0: have they either i'm having a fever dream where i thought i was on american ninja warrior or did have they done a bungee you savage yeah um i don't know actually i might just remember i might just be having like i might be just i know i've seen seen one they might have had a
2: bungee hold on one of their rigs in years past i mean honestly i can't remember all the rigs because they change every race yeah they they honestly could have had one i wouldn't be surprised um if they did it was only like a single hold my bungee i
0: can honestly remember is a goliathon goliathon does bungees okay maybe it was that i don't know i i yeah overall for like a savage race i've run i think that was my fourth or fifth i don't i'm not but uh The only obstacle I wasn't really worried about the rig. The only reason I spent time there, besides sitting on the cargo net, was I've never touched the cheese boards, so most a little bit of my time was kind of figuring out my first couple attempts was figuring out the handhold switching of that. But after that, like the rest of that rig, wasn't too bad. But I am also very long of reach, so it's not like that rig is very. You have a huge advantage if you have a long reach. Oh, on that rig. Um,
1: Yeah, it took me. Two tries on the cheese board just to figure out how to get to the higher, like farther reach on the cheese board before coming to the last one and transitioning. And you really have to pick the boards that are like not warped. So one, once I found the board that worked for me, then I could get through it, the cheese every single time. But then it came down to, going from that last hold on the cheese to the crappy little cable column-esque looking handle thing. And, like, it spun so much if you, like, even tapped it, and that's where I would lose a good amount. But once, you know, I got through the cargo, like, it was all pretty simple. Like, had I had enough grip to give it one more attempt, I probably would have tried to lache from the first ring to the bar because, like, I didn't even want to attempt to get to that second ring.
0: The, uh, yeah, I think the obvious thing we all came out of there this race with was uh, like those, and we said it. I think we've already said it before. Those cheese boards are not a rig attachment.
1: I'm really, I really want to talk to whoever like manufactured those, and I want to find out how they tested the capacity limits because the capacity limits in a vertical versus a horizontal have to be completely different.
2: Uh well, yeah, they're, they're meant to be vertical. Lee just kind of said F it like six months ago and put them horizontal. And- yeah.
1: But if they're, if they're doing something that's against the manufacturer's recommendation, like they're putting themselves liable, like those warped cheese boards, they are going to snap eventually.
0: Yeah. That's what uh I, that's what we were talking with Bam about was like, all it's going to take is like enough people and then one big guy and that thing could snap right in half and it's not going to be pretty. They did have one snap in Florida. And, oh, uh, and they're still and using fall. it. They're still they,
1: they need to stop. They yeah. need to find something like, else for a vertical traverse.
0: I kind of get it. Like I get why they're doing it. Cause it's the only reason it's there is because it's tricky. It's, it's killing, yeah. it's getting people, oh, yeah. but like they need to figure out something else. They just need to find a different hole
2: to still have the same difficulty, but that's more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, more consistent.
1: Do something kind of like the, um, like Boulder Dash was doing and put a floating pegboard, like that would still be fucking hard.
0: Oh my God, yeah. I will say though, yeah, I do kind of agree. Like some of the things are getting a little easier. Like I remember when Wheel World was hard and I think they're going to have to soon figure that out a little more. Like how they kind of slammed Battering Bird and uh, or Battering Ram and Twirly Bird together. Right. When that's what they've been trying to do for the last, I would say, you
2: know, better half of the past year is find their middle ground because every race, it's either people are and complain of, oh, my God, this is too fucking hard. And then the next race is like, this is too fucking easy. They rolled it so back, it's yeah. been a constant back and forth of like, OK, where can we find a really good middle ground where everybody's happy? It's challenging and not overly challenging. I mean, no matter what, you're not going to please everybody, but it's definitely been uh, trial and error for the better half of the year, which, I mean, I still give them props for, I mean, because they're trying, right? I mean, rather than just being straight easy Spartan, um, but or making it just too overly difficult every race. I mean, they're trying to use feedback. I mean, they use the Savage Syndicate page and people's feedback at the races to try and make it better for the next race. It's just, it's very hard to find that middle ground. And I think until they get to that point, It's just going to be a constant back and forth.
1: This is my biggest complaint. Because, yes, thank you for asking how my race went. It didn't go well. But my biggest issue with it is Savage wasn't difficult. For me being my first try at it, this race was not hard, in my opinion. It wasn't.
2: That was the easiest one I've run in six years. The
1: hardest obstacles Wheel World didn't want to turn. It's not that it was hard hard it's just they didn't want to turn so I failed it a couple of times trying to find the right lane because I wasn't going to sit there and battle a wheel that didn't want to turn and once I found the lane that could turn I breezed right through it then I didn't have any issues with you know sawtooth battering bird I first started on one that was too high too tall for me and um I couldn't quite get going. So I switched to a different one, got right through. And like, yeah, the rig is challenging. I think had my race gone a little differently, like my head has been completely fucked for a little while. And like just personal stuff has really took its toll on me this race. And then I wound up bashing my head on the truss on Holy Roller. Cause of course I hit the bell with my hand and I had like, um, I leaned my body underneath to hit the bell and then I dropped my feet. And as I dropped my feet, I didn't realize the truss was so low that my face smashed straight into the truss, which is in my opinion, very dangerous to have it still that low. Um, And then I was worried about a concussion the entire race. Then once I got to the rig, Um, I was just so mentally checked out. I spent a good amount of time, um, again, like messing with trying to get through the cheese boards. And then when I committed to it, I got through, I got to that last ring and it just didn't want to come down until I went to fully swing and I lost it. And I was just ready at that point. But I don't understand why The difficulty of this race has to always only be the rig. Why are we consistently making a different rig every single time and then changing it? Like, I love the idea of innovation, but if you're testing something new each time, are you ever going to keep anything kind of sort of similar so we can continue to adapt with the race or is it always just going to be uh, we're going to try a new thing we're going to try a new thing we're going to try a new thing
0: I think it's like it, based on just the recent years the rig is always the thing that's changed Um one thing I will agree with you on wheel world this was the first time I've ever seen wheel world and I'm like it's starting to show its age um, just in terms of quality looks like it's been around a while um, I only say that because I brought this up with bone frog bone frog has the same problem with chopper those spinning obstacles that are like solid metal. They start showing their age after a while, so maybe it does need a little bit of tune up, but I don't know.
1: But like, how much fun would it be to do like Wheel World into Battering Ram into Wheel World into Battering Ram?
0: Yeah, well, that's why they are constantly like changing things up. I was also thinking in my head, I was like, it'd be, but it wouldn't be possible. We'd be like, what's two obstacles they can slam together with Wheel World? I was like, Wheel World and Anchors Away, but you can't do that because you need the.
1: Oh, I did love Anchors Away. That might be one of my new favorite obstacles. Yeah,
0: that's it how, was uh... so much fun. I will say that is like, cause I'm not, uh, I don't swing on obstacles very well. And this is the first time I've been like confident going through it. Um, One thing I noticed though, is they have those holds perfectly spaced. Like if they were to somehow tweak them a little bit. Yeah. If they tweak them a little bit farther apart, that uh, it's going to get a little, it's going to get much harder. But right now it's perfect. Cause I even watched, I went back and recorded watching people doing uh, the later waves And yeah, people are able to, it's like, it's surprising that people are able to do that obstacle. I watched people not even like swing. They just muscled it like 90 90 degree lock off and just reached for that shit. (laughs) Um, I mean,
1: I'm short and I had zero issues with it. I was like going to the far side and like, obviously my swing is pretty great. But how much fun would it be to be like anchors away into like a nuclear ninja ring? climb up back down and then finish with a couple more anchors away
0: that, that's the uh that's the first i mean wheel world was actually one of the first obstacles i was on like this is fun to do but i mean i've done wheel world enough but like i had the same feeling once i was on anchors away yesterday i was like this is the first fun obstacle i've been on in a long time like where it, you're actually like i don't know you know i'm not struggling to go through it i'm actually enjoying it type thing
1: i think that was the only part i enjoyed
2: when, and honestly, like, and I, I feel kind of bad that that was your first experience and kind of running with Savage because in kind of what we were actually talking about before this, but obviously so everyone else can hear, you know, it just didn't feel very Savage-esque. And I think a big reason what we were saying earlier is that there's usually, I mean, there's still, I mean, even though their race format, or not format, but like obstacles don't really, I mean, or just, you know, since they do change, they still kind of keep the same format more or less. That's usually... You know, start off with something easy in the first quarter—a crawl or two, you know, eight-foot wall, whatever—and then there's like, uh, like a prequel rig, I guess you could call it, where it's kind of like it's a rig, but it's not like overly overly difficult. It's like a couple rings and a T-bar hold or a rope, and then you have like a chopsticks or something, and then you have the hard rigs at the end. They had all the hard rigs at the end, but there was a lot of just emptiness, you could call it, in the middle and filler, and a lot of it was. Had to do with which I know no one really liked was the stupid long carry. Usually, that carry is like a quarter mile. So, for those that don't know or weren't there, the carry for Savage is never hard in terms of like heavy. It's usually just a, you know, just to kind of throw it in there to give you a monkey wrench to throw into the race. It was literally almost a full mile. Felt, it like, felt no like joke. a
1: mile and end. Like, it really, when I started and I saw some of the females that I know who were in the front of the pack they were just coming back through. I looked at, it, I'm like, this is about to be miserably long. And it was demotivating for me. And like, um, as somebody like, yes, I've ran a lot of Spartan races. I've come off of a lot of the fit trail races, the fit OCRs. I've done Boulder dashes in the last year or so. These are all really great trails. And that section of the race could have been a am- really amazing trail running section. Oh, yeah, it was perfect. They was the only place that had single track. And you have us carrying this long-ass log that's not even heavy. But, you know, we're trying to jog with it, but people are getting you know, bottlenecked in the only single track section, you could have easily done a small loop there than had us zigzagging through this trail part and had an awesome trail running section because then we went on and got soaked in that horrible mud crawl in 50 degree weather and then cutting through a bunch of fields on a windy day. I wanted less field running and more trail running.
0: They've always since 2013, they've always had that one long track of field thing. It's always been there. It's so demotivating. It's always been because de- it's so it's not a far run, but it's so flat and just open that you can't see like you can see the end and you're like, it just never feels like it's getting closer.
2: And that's kind of going into why I think it didn't feel very savage. I mean, going into it, I know there was going to be no trivial Richard. I knew there was going to be no Davy Jones because they haven't had that oh, since pre-COVID. A lot it's due to having to staff more because they're trying to save money, obviously, since they lost so much with COVID because you have to have at least two or three lifeguards at each of those because they're big water obstacles. So I know that's why they cut them as well with COVID nonsense and, you know, bullshit like that. But like that long, flat, boring run is broken up every year with Davy Jones because Davy Jones is in the middle of that field and there was no Davy Jones. And then usually in the long in the longer stretch run at the beginning, you have something like Shriver Richard. So when you take those two obstacles out, it becomes a more boring race. And then again, they didn't have another like prequel rig that was easier and they didn't have another tentacle obstacle. They usually have one or the other of either tree hugger or chopsticks and they had neither oh, one of those. Tree so hugger, like four, yeah, so there's like four major like savage obstacles that break the monotony of the race up in terms of having a longer running section or having like an overwall to an overwall to an invert wall. And it almost kind of felt like at one point, I don't know if you guys can agree with this, honestly, halfway through the race, I was like, I almost feel like I'm in a Spartan right now because there was like three invert walls back to back. And I'm like, where's yeah. my,
1: we didn't get a technical obstacle really until the three mile mark with wheel world. Like we came off of the, log carry we saw the two mile mark during the log carry the three mile mark um, at the water station right after the mud crawl thing Mm -hmm. and then we went straight into wheel world and it's like we've now done half the race and we haven't had any technical obstacle
2: yeah and the other one that they don't have anymore which i mean they haven't had a maryland now for two years because it kind of got rotten it was a permanent one was kiss my walls
0: which was a rock wall that's what i was about to bring up with uh, so, their traverse wall.
2: Yeah, and like and, and you know and again that hasn't been there now for 2 years because they had to tear it down because it was starting to rot away because it was a permanent wooden obstacle, but when you take one but especially all like 4 or 5 of those obstacles out, it kind of takes away a lot because like i ran savage florida, you know, a month and a half ago and it was still phenomenal. Like they had all those things in there. They had um know a bunch of obstacles and like they actually had three rigs for savage florida i don't know if it was either in the fall or the spring or both but there was like at least three rigs you had one at the beginning one in the middle and then obviously the super hard one at the end because they always like to put the you know the hardest one like at the finish line to fuck everybody up which i love but yeah like like you said megan you ran like half the race and you're like i've done nothing so far
1: yeah and that's exactly how it felt the log carry was so incredibly demotivating and then you got us wet in 50 degree weather for no reason um, to run across a field and just be sitting shivering for a while um and then we finally slowly started to face some real obstacles like they definitely needed to put a technical obstacle closer to the beginning and like space it out or you know give us another something
0: They just needed at least two or three more obstacles they didn't have. I think they, uh, also one thing, I don't know if anybody else noticed, kind of near Sawtooth, did you notice that's where the old Wheel World pit was? Yes. Because Wheel World used to be over water. So I'm wondering if, like, that, like, if you were to move Wheel World where it's supposed to be, that kind of, that would be, like, after the lumber, the lumber carry. So it would give us a little bit more mix up. Um, It
1: does make me wonder if they knew that Wheel World wasn't going to twist quite as well. And that's why they didn't put it over water, considering the weather?
0: Could be. Um, Yeah, and I'm not sure exactly if it was like the pit was more like for COVID reasons. I'm not sure because sawtooth needs one because that's a huge drop. Also, by the way, I miss old sawtooth. I think everyone else agrees. Um, PA still has it if you go to PA. Oh, boy.
1: What's the difference?
0: Um,
2: Yeah, so this is like considered the quote unquote, it's not really new anymore because it's now been probably two years but sawtooth was always a wooden obstacle. So the bars were wooden, the structure itself was wooden and it was actually a lot steeper. So it was shorter in, in like length because it was a much steeper and the tooth in the middle was a much higher and lower drop. And now the new one is obviously what you saw yesterday, which is uh, all steel structure. It's longer and less steep with a less steep tooth, um, which it depends on the weather, on which one's easier and which one's harder. In the rain, the newer one's actually harder because the bars are stupid slippery. But if you go to PA and I think Georgia, might still have it as well. Those are both still permanent structures. They're still there and they're wooden.
1: That this was very long, that gap between the low to the high again, that was obviously a far reach, but it wasn't like a difficult far reach. Yeah. Um, it's really harder
2: f- on the wooden one. At least for the reach
0: for the tooth, it's a much higher reach. Like you gotta like swing to get it. Yeah. I it's a long it's a it's a long reach for me. Like uh, I breezed through Sawtooth and it's just because yeah, it wasn't as vertical, so I just straight up gorilla at 90 degrees it because I I could do it much faster that way. But like it's just because I didn't have to expend that much energy on it. Um I think the one thing that like for me that really changed for savage race and i knew that was going to be that way because i posted about it is i think the thing that's really missing for savage is since it's covid that we don't have it is uh, the start line ceremonies they used to have so it's not we don't have that party feel that we used to then i think i'm hopefully 2022 that's when it changes that's definitely something that's definitely takes away from the savage atmosphere
2: because a big part of savage is literally, and as dumb as it sounds, because again, you don't, you have an experience that Megan is the start line of savage because, you know, like Spartan is always the whole, like, you know, you do the Spartan speech where, you know, Dustin Dero used to do the speech and then you got your three aru's and then you go. Savage was like that times like a million where, so their MC, uh, his name's Maddie T. Uh, Don't ask me his last name. I just know he's Matty T. He hasn't, done the start line MC for Savage since COVID because um, he's kind of stepped away from Savage during COVID. He's still with Savage. He just hasn't been doing it until COVID's kind of like completely done. Um, Which I understand everyone has their own personal preferences when it comes to like exposing themselves to, you know, people and everything else like that. But like you said, Charles, the starting line got you in like a really hype mindset and that's what made Savage different. It had a more personable feel. Like I was telling my friend Matt, who also ran Savage for the first time yesterday, you know, it was it was his first time there. He would have gotten crowd surfed had it been a regular Savage, because usually, or at least in the in past years, you know, Matty T again was our MC. He would hype everybody up. He would split the whole crowd down the line. Obviously, there weren't you know people every five minutes in you know twenty people waves. It was like waves of like you know two hundred people. So he would split. The, he would split the wave down the middle get everybody hype get everybody jumping up and down saying oh and then you know i say savage you say race savage race you know so on and so forth and then like new people he would crowd surf them to the front and there was just like the star crowd was like a
0: 15 minute process i have um i have some footage of it actually from the last savage race i did um i remember taking footage of it and it was just for the open wave it was the same type of energy um yeah i think that's the one thing that's missing because that's the one thing i've always enjoyed like telling people about savage race is the start section like the obstacles are really fun but the the starting line always was really special and it is like it's within that same specialty of like when dustin used to do spartan race uh stuff so it is like kind of that same and it's, i'm not talking like when dustin had to do the regular script when dustin got to do his own stuff
2: <laughs> yeah i mean and that really does change the whole atmosphere of the race itself because it's what you it's literally, you, you know, the first thing you do before you actually do the race. So it puts you in a different mindset. It's the same reason why everyone loves um, Coach Payne, right? Like, he, he just puts you in a different mindset. And it was the same thing with Savage of it would get you just hype as fuck to go run this race. They would throw out like blue smoke and you'd run out through the blue smoke. And now it's literally like, okay, guys, let's get Savage run. <laughs> like, and I get it. I mean, again, they don't have Maddie they T. They
1: even do that. They were like, okay, go. And I was like, "Wait, what? That's it? Like, okay, we're running now."
2: Yeah, so all those things kind of combine and put together just
0: made it a very different feel. It's an interesting, yeah. I mean, but it's it's post COVID, so or we're still in COVID, but I guess the world's slowly coming out of COVID at this point. I mean, it's gonna things are hopefully gonna change, and I, that's why I said twenty twenty one is gonna be a weird OCR year, and then twenty twenty two hopefully things go back for actually almost any race, honestly, even marathons and stuff like that. But,
1: um... He has hyped Savage up so much that I'm just, like, really disappointed.
0: I'm disappointed for
2: you, honestly, because, again, that was not... Like, it was still Savage, but at the same time, it was nowhere close to Savage
0: either. It's like it's like bringing your... It's like hyping up a metal band for your friend to see, and then you take them, and they're like, surprise, we're doing our acoustic set. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly it's like, it's like, that. like. Yeah, oh, it boy. was huh.
1: seriously a major letdown. Like... I'll go and I'll run Savage Boston, but right now, like, I don't understand why people are so gung-ho savage because, like, I did not get any of the...
0: You didn't get the show.
1: Yeah, I I didn't get the atmosphere. I didn't get the experience. Yeah, um, it sucks. it, It was really disappointing.
0: So, with Savage having... Our, uh... Our topic this week is actually pertaining to what we did leading up to Savage, which is uh, our race week training.
1: And it really doesn't have to be about Savage either, because obviously... We're a very community-based show. Not only was there Savage this week, but there's Phoenix that happened today. You had Battle of the Lions. You had the Montana Trifecta Weekend, Ultra Beast, everything. Um, I'm pretty sure, yeah, Highlander had their Dark Ages. Wasn't there, like, a Rugged Maniac or something in Virginia, too?
0: Apparently, there was, because my friends went there. (laughs) Some of my (laughs) people in this area went and ran that. I'm like, okay. No friends to Rugged Maniac, but, like... Maryland Savage, It's like, <laughs> that's the way to go, but hey.
1: So we're just deep into the obstacle course racing season at this point, and a lot of people have been asking and a lot of people have been posting what they're doing, and at least from a coaching standpoint, it makes me want to pull my hair out because I truly don't think people know how to taper. So that's where I ask. Guys, what did you do leading up to this weekend in particular?
2: I mean, so for me, I mean, if anyone already doesn't know, if they didn't listen to last episode or see my post on the socials, <laughs> I had COVID the last, you know, like two weeks. I uh, Just now got off of COVID. So for me, honestly, I literally was just like, all right, COVID and race. So I felt like shit, race like shit. Um, but normally, normally I will do somewhat of a taper going into a race. Now my training has transitioned and transformed a lot from when I first started OCR to what it is now. Um, I mean, I came from a like just straight lifting bodybuilding background in terms of like just doing isolation movements and things. So I transitioned a lot from that into more so running. I mean, cause let I me, mean, let's be real. obstacle course, racing is still 85 to 90% just running. So if you're not running and training running, you're not going to do well. So, I mean, my training has changed a lot where I'm running, you know, six or seven days a week now and only lifting two or three. But in terms of coming up to the race itself, I mean, I used to just take pretty much the entire week, if not half the week off lean up to a race. And to me, that was like a taper. I didn't know what the hell a taper was. I'm still learning that. Cause I, again, I'm, I'm not the best at tapering, but for me, tapering was, Oh, okay. I have a race on Saturday. I'll take off, you know, like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday race. That's a taper because I'm not doing anything. And I've learned throughout the past couple of years and talking to coaches and actually learning more about sport and, you know, athleticism in general and about my body that, you know, to do an actual taper in terms of you're still working out, but you're either lowering your reps, lowering your sets, doing a lot more stretching, a lot more mobility to keep your body in tune and be ready to race. So, I mean, that's personally what I do leading up to a race is I will still do my workouts literally up until the day before. I just will kind of change what I'm doing. I'll do lower reps, lower sets, lower weights, and just focus on a lot more of mobility and stretching to prevent a lot of injury. I mean, I don't know if you guys do anything different, but that's more so what I do. And it does it does depend on the uh, the distance of the race too. Like if I'm doing a sprint, I'm taking a lot less of a taper, you know, uh, you know, a couple of days versus if you know, like Charles, I know you run a lot of archers. You're probably taking, you know, two or three weeks taper leading into an event, if not longer. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About there. So that's um, personally what I do, but I mean, you guys tell me what you guys do. Cause obviously I know we're all kind of different in
0: our approaches. So um, I was kind of in the same way, the way I used to taper, um, I would usually... It would always be the week of, depending on race distance, but, like, early, early on... uh, Early, early on, I would rest almost the whole goddamn week, which was not a good way to do anything. And then, yeah, um, I would switch to usually, like, working out Monday, Tuesday. One of those days, getting in a lighter jog, and then Wednesday through Friday, I wouldn't really do anything leading up, so I'd be coming in cold to like, any of my races. Um, And that was... uh, Yeah, like that uh, just never properly worked i would actually say this past week was the first time i think i had a properly like scheduled uh properly programmed taper week because uh megan i'm under your, your training program now so that was my first time actually like lower reps uh lower rounds and then different types of runs um for the week and then also having like an explosive run the day before what I do now, especially I would say my tapering got better, actually, as I did get closer to running my ultras um, for my ultras, I would usually taper. I would have about a two week taper. Um, and so if, like, say uh, the race is on a Saturday, I wouldn't have the weekend before I wouldn't have a long run. Then I would have my my long my last long run would have been two weekends, be- like two Saturdays before. And then I would spend more time like lowering lowering my exercise amount and bringing down like my uh bring down my amount of miles and less impact and maybe riding bike and stuff like that. A lot of the time my prep for a race, especially for an ultra, the week of would be spent focusing more on nutritional prep and mental prep because a lot a big part of running an ultra is your mentality. So I would spend more time just focusing in the final week for an ultra. Um And that's kind of like what I've been doing now. So we are kind of all on the same page. Uh, Yeah. And so, Meg, how do you, you are, you definitely get to have a different perspective on this because you have the knowledge of how to do all this (laughs) properly.
1: So the one thing you don't want to do the week of a race is not train. When you are tapering, you are not supposed to decrease your intensity of training. You actually want to keep your weights the same. You just want to decrease the volume. So, you know, your tempo runs or your turnover runs or whatever else, they should be still hitting their targets, whether it's speed or heart rate. You're just going to do it for a shorter amount of time because you want to then prioritize recovery throughout the week. But you still need to be able to push your body to where it needs to go. So for me, my race week, I typically lift somewhere Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Whatever my typical lifting schedule would look like, I'll lift those days. Um, I'll decrease the number of sets and reps that I'm doing. Um, But then I also work in a lot of sports specific movements into my training just to kind of spark that muscle memory a little bit more. Um, Because then obviously we're coming off of Savage and Charles, I know you said you got caught up at the cheese boards for a little bit. I got caught up at the cheese boards for a little bit just because we weren't familiar with them. Whereas Derek probably is familiar with them at this point, so he didn't get caught up at them. So now that like you and I have felt those and we know what technique works for us to get through them, we can figure out ways to kind of replicate that a little bit more in our training. So that's something that I'll do leading up to a race week. I'll get on the Queen X or the monkey bar system at work and I will go over my forward swing, my lateral swing. I'll go through my bicep hold lock offs, you know, traveling sideways, forward, backwards. I'll really get those going. Then I'll do some sled pulls to mimic, you know, whether there's a sled pull on the course or like a hoist. It triggers all of that memory. I'll, you know, flip our hundred kilogram tire multiple times to get that explosiveness. Um, so I'll just really try to mimic as much as I can within the gym just to trigger the muscle memory. So on race day, it comes back a lot quicker. Then obviously, as I mentioned for my runs, I'm going to keep the intensity up. Um, I'm just going to drop the amount of time. So actually with my tempo runs, I train under Ian Hosek. And he does everything heart rate based. So for me, I can run, you know, a shorter tempo run segment, knowing that, yeah, I can hold my heart rate in 20, 30 minute intervals, but I'm going a lot slower. But for me to get into my heart rate zone and hold it there, I can still hold it in the zone in like an 8, 10, 12 minute segment running you know one minute of a faster pace than what I would in a normal day so actually I end up running a little bit more intense Um, and then the days leading up to the race I'll get some turnover practice just like short intervals with high explosiveness some speed work and then the day before the race I really just want to push my heart rate as high as it can really to get to kick into that threshold. So then when I go into it the next day, my body is there. It knows what it feels like. Mentally, I've felt hard. So I can push myself hard again, except for this weekend, because apparently that didn't happen. Um, But yeah, and then it also helps shake off some of the cobwebs, get my feet turning underneath me the day before. So I'm not very stiff or sore going in because I didn't really take that time off. Then I always increase the amount of like animal flow and mobility that I'm doing. And last year before COVID, I was attempting to go floating before every race. This time I did not get around to it and I really probably should have. I meditated just a little bit, but I'm really realizing that I need more mental prep because during my floats and my meditation, that's when I work all of my visualization. So I will sit down for 15, 20, 30, whatever, however many minutes. I will put myself into the festival area. I will put myself at the starting line. I will go through every single obstacle, and I will visualize myself completing all of the obstacles with every technique that I have. So, when it comes down to it on race day, I'm not worried about, you know, what am I going to do here? I know what my options are and I can change it seamlessly if I need to.
0: Yeah, the mental prep, even though I've done it for ultras, I've never actually done it for my regular races. Um, I think that's a little bit of what I posted today on my Instagram where I was like, I said, like, most people would consider the race I had yesterday a success, but in my head, I'm kind of a little conflicted because I, During the race, I was like, I know I can run harder than this. I know I can run faster than this, but I'm just kind of stuck here. And I think it was a little bit of like the mental prep where I was aiming very high and I didn't actually like kind of, uh, I didn't like mentally check or prep myself for it this this week. So I was definitely like, yeah, eighth place, age group, 26 overall, pretty good, but I think I can do better. Um. And that's a little bit of, like, I think would have helped with my mental prep because, yeah, it would have made me a little bit more at peace during the race. Because once I started getting, once people started really getting away from me, I was like, fuck, well, I guess I can start walking type thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for me, I went out really hot. I think I was just really anxious. Like, I, I was telling Brian right before the race that I had never been so nervous for an OCR, at least for a really long time. I didn't know what to expect, and again, my head has just been fucked. I didn't deal with any of the drama that I needed to deal with, and it all just came rearing out as soon as I got into this unknown void of, you know, I'm out on this horribly long carry, I know that it's gonna be long, so what, am I, what else am I going to do except get into my head and start playing through scenarios? And it just pulled me down. Really, that mental portion of it all played such a big component behind it. I've said from the get-go, at mandatory obstacle completion races, um, I am not somebody who can swallow my pride and give up my band if there is still time on the clock for this one um, that two hour time cut off is not a lot of time by the time that I got to the rig I had you know like 20 minutes or so and again like once I hit my head there was no running going on for me so uh, when I got there you know there was still Chrissy uh, McFarland, and um, there was still like Meg Julian there and it's like there were people that typically will stand up on that savage podium and with how my headspace was already all messed up um that that kind of put a shock in me and made me second guess myself but then I was out on that course for well over the two hours I was not going to give up my band if there's time on the clock so I don't even care how I finished um I think had my head been in a better space um, I would have finished that with my band. And obviously I can't say would have because it's nothing's a definite, but I would have had much more of a fight in me.
2: Right. And honestly, kind of taken what both you and Charles just said, you know, kind of almost break it down um, into a nutshell. It sounds like what a lot of people fall in the trap of doing is they prep for every single race, exactly the same. Whereas and what we're learning and we're still getting better at ourselves is prepping for that, you know, whatever that particular race is, right? Cause you do things differently in terms of mental prep as well as leading into it, right? Like ultras are different. Sprints are different. Mandatory obstacle completion races are different. You have to treat them appropriately. And I think that's something that a lot of people do wrong and fall in the trap of, of doing it the same for every single race, every single weekend, no matter what the distance, no matter what kind of race it is. And I think, you know, that's something that even we're still obviously working on as well. But that's I feel like a lot of people fall into that trap.
1: Oh, 100%. And that's where like I posted it this past week. One of the things that I was doing during training, I literally looped a chain around the monkey bar and I was swinging from chain to cannonball because there we have no idea what is going to be thrown at us. And like I said, I had zero issue with any of those obstacles and they were all brand new to me up until that rig. And I fully believe that it's because I have thrown some of the craziest things into my training, specifically onto race week to spark the muscle memory side of it all that prepares me the most. But it's my training outside of race week that allows me to get to where I need to be on the race week.
2: Exactly. I mean, like, like for a person like me where I focus and I don't know if you could say specialized, because I don't really specialize in anything, but I guess are better at uh, like sprints and faster races with, you know, obstacle or a uh, technical heavy things, you know, half my training is, you know, grit based and technical based. And then the other half, you know, I do like all compromise running which for those who don't know what compromised running is more or less, it's you're pretty much doing interval training where you're going all out. And then you immediately stop in terms of doing like a sprint or a quick run. And then you immediately go into another exercise or some type of obstacle back into a run and kind of just repeat that over and over again to simulate races like, you know, like a stadium, which is what I like to run the most. That's pretty much all you do, right? You're redlining the entire time you're going from super short, quick burst of energy sprints into a, you know um an exercise back into a sprint back into an obstacle back into a sprint and then the same thing with you charles you probably focus a lot more on just time on feet and doing different heart rate um based trainings because you do a lot more distance running right so you ha- you definitely have to cater it to whatever it is that you're running you can't just do the same thing and expect it to work for every single race
1: yes and no So one of my biggest pet peeves with this sport is that everybody thinks that they need metabolic conditioning all the time. And for you, it may work, Derek, but it is not designed to work for everybody. You are coming from a weightlifting background, so you already have the strength. So when you um, work the compromised running, your strength capacity is already so much greater. But... So many people think, "Oh, metabolic conditioning—that's exactly what this sport is. Let's—that's how we're going to train." Well, if you're not fast, and if you only do strength training with compromised running, you're burning the candle at both ends. You are not building up your aerobic capacity any greater, and you're not building up your strength capacity any greater. I can flip a, you know, hundred kilogram, two hundred twenty pound tire. Multiple times over in, you know, 30 seconds, not because I sit there and do that in training, but because I deadlift ridiculously heavy weight at least once a week. I don't do compromised running metabolic conditioning workouts, but when it comes down to it, because my strength capacity is so much greater, I can dig into that strength when I am compromised in um, my aerobic capacity. So if we focus on the strength side of it, and then we also focus on the endurance aerobic side of it, you are going to be building up both your aerobic capacity and your strength capacity. Now, personally, um, for my clients, for me, I don't program much in terms of a metabolic conditioning compromised running, you know, strength and cardio workout together all that often. Um, And if I do, it is in the final week, two weeks leading up to a race, just to, again, give them that simulation. You do not need race simulation every single training session, every single week. It is not... Something that is going to get us exponentially better. All it's really doing is training our mental capacity to like embrace the suck. But ultimately, you're not going to be able to pick up a crazy heavy amount of weight with, you know, your heart rate through the roof um, every single time. If you train yourself to pick up a crazy amount of weight without your heart rate up. When your heart rate is up, you can lift a heavier object, maybe not the same amount that you can without the heart rate being elevated, but you can train a heavier weight than you would have had you only trained your strength capacity while your heart rate was elevated. And that's where we look at people like Nicole Miracle and like VJ Jones. I mean, in Jacksonville, VJ flipped that tire like it was nothing. He Trains heavy strength training. Nicole Miracle trains heavy strength training. They do it away from their aerobic conditioning because they know that increasing their strength capacity away from the running is going to increase their strength capacity when the running is involved as well.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I, I def, you know, that's a super important point to put out. You know, like like you said, you don't want to kind of earn at both ends right because it's not really going to help you and i think leading into that what's super important and literally what everything you just said is that you have to have some sort of training structure and training program not just from yourself but it's probably pretty wise that you have a coach that knows what the fuck they're talking about and what they're doing i mean that's why people are successful and why they're you know they get better and why they are successful i mean you have mentioned like vj like vj is a very elite athlete in our sport but he doesn't do stuff on his own. He has a coach, right? I mean, that's, you have to have people that are dedicated to personalize it to you. Cause like you said, everyone is different, right? Like what works for me, you know, the reason why I do a lot of compromised running workouts is because like you said, I already have the strength background in terms of like, I already have that kind of built into me, whereas someone else may not. And the next person may be better at this or maybe better at that. So it's, you have to it has to be a personalized workout to you, right? There's not a catch-all that works for literally everybody in the sport. There might be something that can help everybody in the sport, but I think it will definitely benefit to have a coach like yourself, like um, Diaz or any other coach out there that can personalize a program to you. I think that's super important.
1: 100%. And I mean, I have never been ashamed to say that I am a terrible runner. Running is my biggest weakness. And I went out and I hired a coach for running. He trusts me 100% to do my own strength training. And it's because I'm not afraid to record myself doing assessments and take a look at every single thing that I do and identify my weaknesses to then program what it is specifically that I need. Um, In fitness, we see so many people that come in, you know, Every Nobody skips International Chess Day and, oh, we all want to squat, but we don't want to deadlift because deadlifting hurts your back. And all of these fallacies people have preset in their head when in all reality, they're neglecting so much of their body just because they're afraid to pick up a weight or they only want to do what they find online. You know, they don't have any equipment, so they stick to strictly body weight, but They can't do a pull-up, so their body weight is all very much squats and push-ups, and then their back is completely neglected. We just naturally do not train the things that we do not know, and that's where you're losing so much of your fitness already, and that's where it's important to have a coach that will take a look at what you're doing. They'll take a look at your posture. They'll take a look at your gait. They'll see how you move in specific ways and they can say, okay, you need to stretch this. You need to strengthen this. You have issues with these kinds of obstacles. How are we going to continue to get you through this? And in fact, um, on my way to Savage, I was meeting with a couple of my new clients, getting them started. And I put their running into into the system and they're like, well, is there going to be any strength in there? I'm like, yeah there is, but I wanted to do the assessments because I'm not going to write up your workouts without first seeing how you move. And they're like, oh, oh, that's awesome. Okay. I'm like, I will not program somebody blindly. I mean, I have written programs for Spartan. I have, you know, generic programs based on what people say their weaknesses are, whatever else. But ultimately." Every single program that I write is very specific to each individual person. I mean, I'm one of those terrible people that I would much rather come up with a specific exercise for somebody and then go record the video, then say, Oh, well, I already have this exercise, this exercise, this exercise in my video library. So even though they should be doing a little bit more, I'm just going to throw these exercises at them because it's more convenient. Um, So I want to give clients the exercises that are most prevalent for them. And if something doesn't resonate, we need to figure out a way to do something of the similar, but make it more specific for them. And in fact, um, Charles, when we started training, do you, do you want to explain a little bit more about how that went for you and where you have come from it?
0: Yeah. So um, I guess we would switch more into like maybe the power side instead of, because I started in strength, but um Hmm. I I don't want to do them. Yeah. Um. So I I mean I think I've said it on podcasts in the past. I would always just train myself. I'd go through all my stuff like that. Um. Just find stuff online. Did a lot of metabolic conditioning. Um. And then coming out of quarantine, I actually was probably at my lowest weight. Uh. Not in terms of actual like weight, but like muscle mass. I was at my lowest. Um. Uh, so I um going through the strength training I put on I put on a good amount of muscle but I didn't put on a lot of weight so you had it tailored so I was getting stronger but not bigger um and that really did build a lot of confidence in just my body overall but once we switched into power you had me doing things that I usually wouldn't do a lot of um uh I'm I or like when we started, my main thing I wanted to work on was I am not a, I'm not a one-armed person on obstacles. I don't swing. Um, I would go through obstacles, uh, at bicep lock off and just reach for the whole same hand and go through it that way. Um, because that's the confidence I had, my shoulders was that way. And now doing the exercises you've had me do, where some they are like single arm exercises or they are, uh, Actually, yeah, single arm dead hang into a pull up and just really working on my shoulder stability and strength has gotten me to a point where my biggest hurdle at Savage Race wasn't even the rig. It was doing anchors away because I don't know how to swing. And uh, I went through, I, I took a moment at that obstacle. And then once I got on it, I, my body just kind of went and just took over. Granted, my lower body doesn't know what to do still because it's not used to that motion. So I do have a little bit of like a... Sometimes my body, like, my upper body's going for the next move, but my lower body's still in the same position. So I am doing, like, I'm I'm landing the anchor, but it's not uh, my, I give a sudden jerk because my lower half is doing something else. So, yeah, you do have me doing stuff like, I, I, we've had the conversation a couple times, I'm not a fan of uh, Turkish get-ups, mainly because they take time, but... I know that's the thing. I like, I hate them, dude. Don't worry, I, I hate know. him, too. So <laughs> I
1: love them.
0: So I know that's still the program, and like, I in my head, I'm like, God, I want to push back. I'm like, she knows what she's doing, so I, I guess I'll do them, and they'll keep. Uh, they'll be a part of. They'll be a part of the process because I do know it's part of the. I honestly don't. I, I, I don't. I feel like it could be a long conversation, but like Turkish get-ups. I'm trying to figure out what exactly they do besides shoulder strengthening. Like, wait, what? turkish get ups like what is the full
1: their core stability so with your turkish get up one your arm is above your head kind of like it's going to be above your head when you're swinging across any rig but then you have to get up while holding this weight above your head so you have to keep your shoulder in this mobile but locked position so it's Moving as your torso is moving, you're keeping your hips square the entire time. So you have to stabilize from your lower body while simultaneously stabilizing from your upper body. Um, so it's giving you the mobility through your shoulders while also giving you the stability through your core and your hips. So when you say, my body doesn't understand how to like switch side to side or whatever else. That's all coming from the Turkish getup because it is keeping your hips square the entire time as you are transitioning while, you know, one arm is up above your head and the other arm is trying to safely maneuver. So you have to be able to transition from one arm to the next and keeping your hips square. So it's actually a phenomenal exercise and just wait until I give you in the bottoms up position. Because oh it, it is going to frustrate you and you mm-hmm. are going to fall in love with it.
0: Uh, <laughs> that whole process with the gym, because I, I get frustrated at the gym already. <laughs> but yeah, eventually you do end up liking the workouts. Um,
1: but that's the purpose of training. If you're doing something that you're already good at, your body isn't getting anything out of it anymore. You need to consistently get challenged. There is different phases of learning. I tell all of my clients when I meet them the first time, personal training is not about kicking the shit out of you. It's not gonna it should not demoralize you, demotivate you. It sh- you shouldn't feel like you just got into this epic battle. It should be Neurologically and mentally fatiguing to the point where your body is shaking through everything that you're doing. You might not be sweating profusely, but your brain is working, trying to develop the pathways from your brain down through to your body, because that at the end of the day is what's creating the muscle memory to get you through whatever it is on course. I tell all of my clients I'm not about to teach a kindergartner algebra. But I'm also not about to teach a college student how to add two plus two. We need to find that space where it's difficult for you, but it still makes a little bit of sense. If there is a complete disconnect between your brain and your body, you are not doing an exercise that is right for you. And if you can do an exercise completely perfect, There's no point in doing it anymore. That's why so many of the things I post on my Instagram, on my personal Instagram of me lifting, they're not picture perfect, you know, exercises. They're me working through the struggle and showing how I'm progressing.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, kind of going off of obviously, you know, having your own personal program and something that's catered to you. No, that's something that, you know, I've kind of been working on and kind of what I need to. And I would love both of your guys' advice, Megan, because you are a coach and Charles, you've done a lot of ultras. I mean, this mm-hmm. is my first year running, you know, one, not my first ultra, this would technically be my second ultra, but my first like really, really big ultra that I don't really know what I'm doing, especially when it comes to tapering. You know, I'm used to tapering for uh, smaller, shorter races, you know, week of, Um, you know, how you guys go about, you know the different processes of tapering and doing things leading up to an event like an ultra where it's you know 30 50 you know to up you know, obviously up to what i'm doing which is a 100 mile or like how do you guys go into tapering that like how is that different from a
0: typical taper for like a sprint or something a lot of mine is like because i this is my work with megan's first time we have worked with a coach so a lot of my experience with like my, my ultra running came just a lot of trial and error so what i ended up coming down to with tapering was like, I always have, I still kind of have the belief with, uh, with running my ultra is I still am under the impression of when it comes to running less is a little bit more, but that's just because that's, I believe in like the impact on my legs. Cause I always say the major part for ultra running is like, yes, it does require the endurance, the endurance to do hundred miles and the ability for your body to carry that. But a lot of I would say a lot of it is going to be the mental strength to do it. So when it came for me tapering like and prepping for a race, I would spend equal parts uh, prepping myself mentally as, as well with my body. Because uh, me finishing Infinitus or my 50 mile or, or any of the 24 hours I've done have always been, I mentally know what I'm capable of at this point. And granted it came because I've had finished some in the past, so I know what I can do. But being able to coach myself through a thing. Cause I'm actually one of those people who I don't really require a pit crew either. Uh, the best I would probably get out of the pit crew is someone being able to just refill my, my vest. But like I've had friends at ultra beasts and at the hundred miler and 50 miler where they're cheering for me and it doesn't do much for me in my head. Cause it's just, I'm, I'm always going to be up in my own head assessing like and hyping myself up that way. So most of my taper into my ultras have always been, like, I'm usually done doing my long, long runs two weeks out from the race. Um, and my long, long runs aren't even that long. Um, I used to work mostly on distance-wise, and now uh, I'm working more on just time out there and prepping for – Right, like time on feet. Um, yeah, under – well, under Megan's program, she has me going by time increases every uh, – my endurance runs on Saturdays. But, yeah, time on feet is the major thing for uh for running an ultra um but i would usually be two weeks out i would probably stop doing my really long runs um i would have some shorter runs in there just to keep things moving and same with like doing my weight uh weights and stuff it would all be it would all be slowing it down um granted i would actually end up doing less weight like my i would decrease my weight on my stuff. but um that's just what I was doing at the time but most of my prep going into uh going going into ultras was always just the mental prep because if you believe in yourself a a good amount of time you're going to be able to get through most of the race because when you have an extensive background in running already you're you know what you're capable of Um, you know your body can handle it and you know how to maneuver those moments when your brain's like oh hey man you know how we're kind of cold don't your knees hurt for no reason now like you can at least like maneuver around your brain trying to psych you out from continuing uh continuing to like do what 100 miler like when you're at the 50 mile mark your body's like we can stop so that's kind of like been a lot of my prep for for ultra running
1: so this is where i come in and remind charles that i beat him at the 24 hour race in october and it's because he has the, the uh, mindset that less is more. And I had the mindset of just listen to my coach.
0: You, the, you beat me by like, what, one-tenth of a second when we crossed the finish line at the same time? Yes. Okay. My
1: name, my name is in front of yours as finishing before you.
0: All right, I'll see I, you at this 2022. <laughs> 100 milers, let's go. Um...
1: <laughs> But um, I did not have to take any breaks during that 24-hour, and Charles did, again. I
0: didn't train most
1: of the year. <laughs> I know, and this is where this is where I'm saying, you say less is more, and um, this is where I, I am coming in and saying, you really actually do need a good amount of structure behind it, because I know, ideally, you went in hoping for a higher goal. And didn't prepare as much as you would have liked to. But now with training more time on feet. And I'm going to also rebuke what you say with time on your feet is more ultra. Time on your feet is also a big thing for OCR as well. Because as we know, a six mile savage, a six mile Spartan, depending on where it is, it's going to take you a completely different amount of time. No single obstacle course race is ever going to be the same in terms of time. And you can never compare your time from, you know, Killington 2019 to Killington 2018 to Killington 2017. You just can't physically do it. The only thing you can really prepare for is time on your feet. Um, So I do agree. When you're about two weeks out, you should be done running long, long distances. But it doesn't mean that you should stop running distance altogether. With my, with, When I ran the Fit Ultra, I decided two months before that I was going to do this race. And I told Hosick, and his response was, well, you're trained for time on your feet, so you can do it. He said, I'm just going to throw in two really long training days. And they were four to six hour training days. One in September, one in October, two weeks before the race. And those were the only times I ever went out and trained for that amount of time. I didn't, I touched 24 miles on the second one. Um, But otherwise, I had never even ran like a marathon distance before. And um, I never once had any of the suck that Charles was explaining I did, my feet didn't hurt. My body never hurt. Nothing ever was giving up on me. I actually ended that race. I was writing to Hosek, telling him how it went. And I said, you know, I feel like I got gypped from the ultra experience because I never went into the pain cave. I never went into the dark place. Nothing ever sucked. I was happy the entire time. I loved every second And Charles had to actually tell me that it's okay to stop running now because my body wanted to keep going. Um, And I think that was a big part um, because of my mental preparation. I actually hired a therapist two months out when I decided I was going to run the race. And with it, I said, I want to identify every single thing that could come up on race day as a mental blocker. And I want to have a strategy to cope with it in the event that it comes up. And I was ready. Uh, I, again, was trained, time on my feet. I had my toolbox completely set. I had overthought everything when it came to food. I knew when I I needed to take my CBD. I knew when I needed to take my Enduralite. I stuck to a very strict um, schedule in terms of nutrition and changing clothing. Um, And then I just went out and said, I'm going to have fun. And that's exactly what I did. And it was all because of how well trained I was. When I got into that taper, what the taper looked like was just a typical week of training for me for that first week. I pulled back a little bit on my strength training. Again, I just dropped down the sets and reps. I didn't drop down the weight. I still had, uh, you know, my tempo run, my fart run, what, my long run, whatever else. But the duration of each of those started to come down. And then the week before the race, it came down even more and um, then went into the little bit of running the days before the race. And then race day came and I was rested, mobile, happy, healthy. And I went out and I crushed it.
0: The, uh, the one thing I will say is especially like one thing I'm kind of worried about coming out of that fit ultra run. Um, and I think I brought this up to you is like some of the other people who does their first ultra, it is a good format, but it's the uh, I, the having that as your first race, I feel like can set you up for a little bit of, uh, it's going to set you up for a little bit of a body check when you come into something like, I mean, they so come into something like Infinitus or something that is a lot longer loops. Because even though a lot of Ultras now are switching to like the five mile distance, there are those ones out there where they will force you to get into the pain cave. Like they will get, make you do like a 10 to 20 mile loop every now and then. And you, and you are kind of stuck in the dark at 2 a.m.
1: Want to go to the pain cave?
0: Gotta get out of the, uh, gotta, gotta find the longer, the longer ones, like the Georgia Death Races, the Yeti 100s, like the, uh, the really big ones. Um,
1: You, You do realize when 2020 started, I said, I'm never running an ultra, right? And then by the end of 2020, I had ran 110 kilometers. So like me discovering ultra running is very, very new. And like, it was COVID. I wasn't about to hop on a plane to go run a crazy race that might not happen so
0: it's also (laughs) this is a conversation i've had a couple times because i have had many i've i've been the friend who's been running ultras and i have friends who jump into it and i'm always like hold on a second i just want to prepare you like for for in case because they all kind of did start and and they didn't get out there and once they did get onto those bigger courses they still had that mental like like we talked about earlier where we talked about everyone does the same prep for the races like Spartan race to Savage race to this, there's going to be a different mental prep from doing a five mile loop to doing either a point to point hundred miler or ones that are just longer loops. Um, so there is going to be that like rework when you run a different ultra of your mentality. Here's another one kind of throw a curveball um, and throw, you
2: know, a mix. It doesn't matter what distance you're trained for a lot of races, especially in OCR and just trailing in general have a lot of elevation gain, right? So a big part of training is training that elevation gain, right? So one of our, um, uh, let's see here, on, uh, on Instagram, we had uh, Fueled by Coffee asked a question of, uh, obviously, you know, how do you train for elevation when you don't live near any elevation? Because obviously, there's a lot of people that live in places like Florida and Texas and all those southern states that are just flatter than flat, right? So um you know how would you guys go about training elevation if you don't have elevation to train with because that's a big part of any OCR of any distance really is you know obviously the elevation part
1: so it's all about training your body for the mechanics of climbing that's where you need your deadlifts you need all of the glute and hamstring strengthening to train the mechanics to work even through fatigue So I like to do a lot of recruitment runs, um, deadlifts into sprints or whatever else that's going to train you for it. But then, you know, I, I see a lot of people that will throw on their weight vest and do a thousand lunges and say I'm training for hills. Well, no, because a lot of times you're putting a lot of pressure on your hip flexors with that added weight in the weight vest. And you're not focusing on your glutes and your hamstrings. You're forcing your hip flexors and your quads to do a lot of the work. And that's actually teaching them how to blow out as soon as you get onto any of that elevation. So you really need to up the amount of posterior chain work that you're doing. So again, glutes, hamstrings, get your calves working, work your ankle mobility um, but then sometimes you really do just need to hop in your car and go find some elevation. When I was training for the fit 24 hour race, even though I knew that there wasn't going to be crazy elevation, me and Brian, we went out to Mount Wachusett in Massachusetts, and one of those four to six hour training days was set, spent redlining the entire Mount Wachusett trails. We got like 18 miles with over 5,000 feet of elevation. Um, and that was just because I needed something mentally to train on. Cause I didn't want to go out to our same trail all the time and train for four to six hours because it was just monotonous. Um, even though I knew the 24 hour race was going to be a loop, a monotonous loop, I wanted to go and explore and see new terrain and I wanted to go and get a solid climbing day to make sure that my glutes and hamstrings were going to work when they were completely fatigued for, you know, the end of that 24 hour race. Um, so if you ever can, Go out and explore new trails, you know, drive a few hours away, take a weekend out to the mountains or, you know, get a good training weekend away from home and just put miles on the body.
2: Yeah. And even if you're unable to do that, I mean, you can get creative with a lot of things. I mean, like you said, you know, focusing on your glutes, your hamstrings, your calves and things like that. You can still do things in the gym that help you with that, but you can also get creative with, I mean obviously if you have the money, the easiest thing would be to go buy an incline trainer, like a Nordic track or something like that. But even if you don't, you can still do incline training. I mean, I have, I've done this myself and I've seen many of, you know, plenty of other friends that are in Southern States where they'll literally take a regular treadmill, grab two cinder blocks and throw it underneath their treadmill. And now you got a 10 to 15% incline, just throw cinder blocks under there and throw it on walk. You don't necessarily need to run, but just, you know, do a, you know, a a weighted walk on there for, you know, two or three hours, you're still going to get the same benefit. It's just basically a redneck version of a Nordic track. And if you don't have a trim or don't have access to do that, um, I've done this as well, where I've gone to the local stadium by my house where they have the uh, ramps leading up to the top of the stadium and down and basically do hill repeats with that because I don't have a whole lot of elevation gain immediately around me. I have to drive like an hour to a way to get some decent elevation. But I can literally drive, you know, 10 or 15 minutes um, up the road to one of the stadiums and just get on those ramps and do hill repeats on that. So sometimes, depending on where you live, you have to get creative and do those sort of things, and you're still going to get a lot of the same benefits out of it. It's just going to feel a little bit weird at first. But there's definitely ways to do it when you have no elevation around you. You can still, like you said, Megan, train your body for those mechanics. Right. I mean, cause it's, it's all the same. It's just a matter of what method you're using to train those mechanics.
1: And I will say my liability insurance does not cover Derek. Um, I do not <laughs> condone putting a treadmill on cinder blocks. It so, works. Don't
2: judge me. It works. Just don't run into it. You can just walk. It, just don't run into it. <laughs> it.
1: In the event that somebody does that and tries to blame me, it is not me. It is all Derek. Um, But if you are on a treadmill or whatever else, and you're going for hours upon hours uphill, if you notice your hip flexors really starting to ache, if your back's starting to hurt, that's a sign that you've been neglecting your glutes and your hamstrings. Your back, your hip flexors, your knees, they should not hurt going uphill, it needs to be your glutes and hamstrings activating the entire time. They take the pressure off of your back. They take the pressure off your hip flexors. They take the pressure off of your knees. And they are what keep you going.
0: So, I think we got from one of our community feedbacks, and I kind of saw it a little bit more, but uh, Brian Lynch brought up the fact that when he is preparing, For the race week, he does incorporate a little bit more. He incorporates some more stretching, does a little bit of extra yoga, uses his Theragun. And I've kind of always wondered, because usually for most of us who don't have a full background in athletics or training or anything, you would associate a lot of that with recovery. So my kind of question would be when it comes to the race week, when you are incorporating a little bit more, I guess, mobility and such like that, is a lot of it is to prepare, I guess, for prevent injuries, but does that actually what are the benefits of adding more like stretching yoga, theragon, mobility, stuff like that the race week?
1: So with everything that you're listing, it actually falls into the category of muscle prep. So one, a theragon, hypervolt, whatever else, that is not a warm-up. It does warm up the muscles, but it is not something to go in the place of stretching it helps to kind of break up some tissues it can fall into the self myofascial release kind of category Um, but once you get the fluid moving around in the muscles from the vibration you then need to go and stretch it a sit and hold stretch is not the correct way to stretch for a muscle prep you shouldn't sit and hold through your current range of motion you want to do more mobility than flexibility and what mobility is is work the muscle through its entire joint range of motion you will continue to get more range of motion within a joint through movement than through a sit and hold If you're ever going to sit and hold for stretching, that should always come after an activity, and it still should be in um, a short moderation. Um, But also, same thing like with the Theragun, a foam rule is not a um, substitute for stretching, it is an additive. So if you're going to Theragun, if you're going to foam roll, you still need to make sure you're stretching. But yes, you need to make sure that you're doing that the week before a race because it keeps your muscles mobile and um, working in more like fluidity than if you were to just not do anything at all. So like I was saying, I always like to increase the amount of animal flow I do during race week, just to keep my joints moving and, uh, um maintain my joint range of motion. Um, same thing. You want to make sure that you're getting your stretching, your percussion therapies. Um, I personally would also agree with doing something like compression boots. You can do infrared saunas. I have not played around with um like cryotherapy like the cold chambers, but typically you don't want to um, do any kind of Cold therapies, unless it's after activity, to help with any kind of like inflammation, swelling, um, fluid stuff.
0: I'll attest to uh, animal flow because you introduced me to that, and I did not have a lot of belief in it. Because looking at it, you're kind of like, all right, it's just some movement, but actually, a lot of the benefits I've gotten out of it, especially within my hip range of motion, has been has worked wonders. It's my go to now for like loosening up either before or after or kind of when I know things are a little bit off, I'll work, I'll get a a good flow going for 10 to 15, 20 minutes, and then usually solve a little bit of the problems, but it helps progress being like better, especially in my my hips and uh, back.
1: Definitely. It creates more of a 360 degree body and I found animal flow because I was originally doing yoga and I love yoga but yoga is a lot more linear whereas animal flow is again that full 360 degrees. Um, There isn't as much of a structure to it. You set up in a position and then you kind of just let your body take over as long as you know The basics of the movements, your body will then move through whatever movements it needs to help loosen up. And I think that's the best part about it. I honestly don't know what I'm going to do when I go into any animal flow session. I just turn my brain off and let my body work.
2: All right. So, I mean, you know, after going over all this and, you know, in terms of training and tapering and things like that, I know a lot of the stuff that we went over um, in today's episode, especially with, you know, the ultra training and tapering and, pretty much everything, you know, outside of all of the ultra stuff is something that I'm going to be incorporating a lot in the next four months while I prep and get ready for my ultra, uh, especially for the fact that I'm only six days out from having COVID. So I basically have to relearn everything now cardiorespiratory wise, because my heart rate will not just settle down at all. So a lot of the stuff I'm going to incorporate, you know, into my ultra and things from what I'm doing now to what I need to do to get ready for that. Um, I mean, Charles and Megan are, I mean, are there any races you guys have coming up that you're going to kind of alter your training or do a lot of what we talked about
0: today? Um, I have my next race coming up. uh, I have a really long gap to my next race. I have Indian mud run at the end of June. So I kind of have almost two full months of training. There may be, I may come across like the random race in the middle, but I don't think it would be anything. I'd be specifically looking to train for something. Just kind of make sure like, you know, the, obstacle racing rust isn't sitting on the body or anything um i am entering my next phase of programming so i don't i don't really know a lot of what i'm expecting so i get to find kind of find that out as we go um because but but you
1: have like what two weeks or two months almost two months Mm -hmm. before your next race you know what that means Hmm. what do we have you you can (laughs) get a strength build in
0: oh yeah i do want to I actually want to see if I can get higher on my my deadlifting. Three I got stuck at 315 for such a long time. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, um, we'll
1: still get a little bit of power in, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be as much of a power cycle as the last one was. Yeah. Um, we'll get we'll work a little bit more of that strength build with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. So yeah, Derek, that's that's what I have coming up. <laughs> what about you Megan
1: I have no idea what the next two months of my life looks like um if things go the way they look like they might be going I won't be racing until Savage Boston and in that case um I'm just going to try and maintain do the best I can um You know, getting a summer body wouldn't suck.
2: Um, (laughs) I think we'd all can agree with doing that ourselves.
1: But no, I'm definitely want to keep working my power development. I don't need as much of the strength stuff right now. Um, Getting more grip strength wouldn't be a bad idea for me. Um, I just want to have fun. I feel like my training had fallen off a little bit in these last two months. So I want to get back onto that and just fall in love with lifting heavy for a little bit. Um, But also, like, I I really do love powerlifting. So I'm going to probably throw some of that in. Um, But if things don't go like I'm hoping they go, then I will be at Indian Mud Run, which doesn't suck. And my training would still probably look very similar to um, strength and power. Well, guys, I think we can call it a day then. oh, Derek, your your next race, you don't know when your next race is. It's you're just now focusing on preparing for the ultra,
2: yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm probably gonna have one or two random races here and there, like certain races I can't miss. I mean, if Palmerton happens, you know, I'll end up being there and honestly run several laps of that just because that would be good training. But pretty much from here on out, it's just trying to build up for my ultra, which I'm already super behind and COVID hasn't helped, but yeah, pretty much just training for that till the end.
1: Awesome. Do you have anything else going on in your life? Any plugs you want to give?
2: Um, I mean, I guess kind of going along with that. I mean, I can't even run my ultra until I raise enough money for it. So if you guys are listening, head over to my Instagram, uh, obstacle. I don't know if it's underscore period activist. You think I'd know by now? Uh, let me look. Um, Obstacle say, underscore uh, activist on my Instagram for like and,
0: 10 episodes.
2: <laughs> I know. Right. But I still always forget. Um, so if you get over to my, uh, to my Instagram obstacle underscore activist, um, there's a link at the very bottom for the charity that I'm running for. I need to raise $2,300. I'm only at like 500. So if you would be so kind to donate, uh, It all goes to the charity. doesn't go to me or anything like that, Um, but that helps me to actually run the Ultra. Even if it's $2, every little bit helps. So if you could kind of go over that, that'd be fantastic. Uh, And if you want to give me a follow, give me a follow as well. Definitely would love to chat with you guys and meet some new
0: people.
1: And Charles, what about you?
0: Um, currently in life, I can tell you I went from hating whales to hating sharks, but that's just my own personal work uh, or my my job currently editing But shows. hey,
1: whales <laughs> is now out. People yeah. can, like, see what you do.
0: Yeah, I have plugged it. Uh, if you have Disney+, Plus, check out Secrets of the Whales. I did the online editing for that, so that means I fixed the show to make it look good. Um, so it's a pretty good show. It's getting well-received. Um, but yeah. Other than that, I don't have a lot going on in my own personal life, I'll, I'll but be, I'll be working on a short Savage Race Highlight Reel. Um, that'll be out in a... I, I like to spend time on making those, so that'll spend time in the next two weeks. You can check out our recent one we just did for Fit Challenge, um, and that one tells a really nice story of kind of how Rob has built the community and highlights the people of who run Fit Challenge. So that's something you can check out. Um, I sh- we should probably get that up on a, our YouTube uh, YouTube channel, actually. As I realize that as I see that. Um,
1: we don't have a YouTube channel. I can post could. it to
0: mine. I need a video to post. <laughs> <laughs> we should. Um, so, yeah, uh, check that out. It's currently on our Instagram. So you guys can check it out there. And that's uh, that's kind of what I got going on.
1: And, guys, I am going to be launching a two-week hanging obstacle challenge. I am hoping by the time this episode comes out, I've figured out how to put it on my website and made the videos and gotten life in order for it. But I will be putting out a two week um, grip overhead obstacle, swinging, whatever you want to call it challenge um, through the OCR trainer. So Um, come on over and get two weeks of free um, obstacle training. Let's see what we can get you doing. Maybe we can get you swinging on one arm like Charles is. Um, But otherwise, of course, I am the OCR trainer. I do do online coaching and training. So hit me up if there's ever anything I can help you with there. Otherwise, my name is Meggie B. ATC on Instagram. Again, the OCR trainer on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook.
0: And you can follow us on Instagram at Middle of the Pack Pod. Uh, same with us on Facebook. We are Middle of the Pack Pod. We have our link tree on there so you can find us even though you've already found us. But uh, if you want to pass it on, that's where our link tree is. We can find all our. Our links to our podcasting sites, make sure to rate, like, review, download, you know, all of the standard stuff you do for podcasts. Um, if you have any feedback, topic ideas, uh, you want to tell us how your races are going, go ahead and reach out. Send us a DM, Facebook, Instagram. We'll check it We we'll i love chatting with you all. Um, if you have any stories to tell, I enjoy just generally chatting with the community in general. So, yeah, and that's where you can find us.
1: Awesome. Well, then guys, I think we are good to call it a day. Again, we are middle of the pack podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in.